So I just completed a three-week series on being generous. And we understand, even if you're new to church, we typically understand that, you know, we need to be generous. And this time of year, in uh, Christmas season, it, everyone likes to give, and it's a very generous season. And uh, I felt like the Lord wanted me to teach on what should be our mindset about money. Not, not in a generous giving way, but how, would, how should we look at it? How should we steward it? How should we manage what we have? What should be our mindset? Because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of misnomers about how to handle money and possessions, even in the church today. And there are ditches that you can get in, and we're going to talk about that. So uh, the title of the message today is Stay Out of the Ditch. Poke your neighbor and say, Stay Out of the Ditch. You know, if you run your car into the ditch, you're stuck. If you run it off a cliff, you're in real bad shape. Amen. We're going to stay out of the ditch and we're going to learn how to handle things God's way and understand that, listen, money and possessions is not going to bring us joy, happiness, or anything. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can. He is the only person, the only thing worth pursuing. So if you will stand for the reading of God's Word, if you have version notes, we, we have those notes available for you. And uh, you can look those up, you can make notes as you go along, you can save it. And, uh, and you can have it for uh, at any time you want to go back to it. I just have one verse of scripture here today. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. So if you'll go to 1 Timothy 6 and 17. We're going to nix the video uh, and we're just going to move on beyond that. 1 Timothy 6, 17. And uh, when you have it, I'd like for you to shout out a good amen. I don't have it yet. I need it. A good amen. <laughs> Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Everybody say their hope in God. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, where in this scripture does it say you cannot ever have anything? Where in this scripture does it say God's saying that you, you better not be rich in this present world? It doesn't say any of that anywhere. He just says if you are wealthy, if you do have some means, he says don't put your hope in that, but put it in God. And he also says something very powerful at the end. He said he rich, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Who gives us everything we have? God does. And for what? He wants to bless us, and He wants us to be a blessing. So let's talk about that this morning. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the beautiful children and the ministry that they remind us, God, that You are the reason for the season. I thank You for Your, your awesome presence that is here. I pray You anoint me to communicate this Word in a way that we can all understand. I pray, Father, let the Word of God flow from, from Your throne right through me into all of our hearts. Anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray, Lord Jesus, let this seed of the word of God fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, and everybody said, hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, a paper Bible or phone or whatever, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, anoint my soul, my mind, and my body to receive 
the truth of your word. And Lord, we bless Israel and we bless Jerusalem according to your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. The old youngest road is a... uh, is a, 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 a road that connects, it's a 40-mile stretch of road that connects Bolivia's capital, La Paz, to uh, Coroco, which is a city in the Andes Mountains, and it's, it's, a, it's a gravel road at best, one lane most of the time. It, uh, it hugs the mountainside. It's usually very wet and muddy because of all the tropical rains that Bolivia gets. It's extremely dangerous. It hugs mountainsides, and on the other side are sheer cliff drop-offs. As a matter of fact, hundreds of feet they go below. In some areas, it is a one-lane road with no guardrails and cliffs on either side that drop literally hundreds of feet. It has such the reputation that there are uh, the people of the local area called it Estrada de Morte, which is the road of death. On average, they have 200 people a year in cars, trucks, and even big buses, city buses, that literally fall off the cliff, go down the mountain, and kill everybody. You can even Google, if you want, the old youngest road, and there are YouTube videos of cars falling off, and the danger of it is amazing. And uh, it carries fatal consequences. Well, when it comes to money and finances and possessions... The healthy biblical road lies between two treacherous ditches on either side. Just as those people on that 40-mile road of the old youngest road need to stay on that road because it is certain fatal death on either side, so it is with us in the body of Christ that there are two sheer drop-offs, two cliffs, two mindsets that will destroy us and destroy what God wants for our life. We have to stay on one road, which I will tell you about towards the end of the message. One ditch... That is treachery is a poverty mindset. Another ditch that is uh, treacherous, equally as treacherous, is a prosperity mindset. God does not want us to have either a poverty mindset or a prosperity mindset. And I'm going to flesh all this out for you. Both of these hazards can destroy your life. So point number one is this. Everybody say it with me. Avoid a poverty mindset. The proverbial vow of poverty has a long history among Christians. I mean... Wasn't it Jesus himself that told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have to inherit eternal life? Wasn't it Jesus who said that the camel, uh, it's, it can, if, if it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter to heaven? Didn't he also say, blessed are the poor and money is the root of all evil? Many are convinced that earning points with God, they earn points with God by living in poverty. But these assumptions, are they true? Are they biblical, some of the things I said? Do we really understand what Jesus was saying? And are they quoted correctly? About 150 years after Jesus resurrected from the grave and the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 in about AD 30, about 150 years later, uh, an early church father, Tertullian, began writing favorably about Egyptian Christians that were renouncing all claim to any earthly possessions and running out in the desert to live in caves. And historians agree this was the beginning of monks and monasteries. 
About a thousand years later, Francis of Assisi took the theology of poverty to a whole nother level. He began to teach that it was a virtue to be poor. As a matter of fact, Francis ultimately founded the monastic order that bears his name, the Franciscans. You've probably heard of them. The Franciscan, in order to be a Franciscan monk, you have to renounce all all possessions, all anything, be willing to live out in the desert in a cave and own nothing. You have to have a vow of poverty. The mindset is rooted in the assumption that material possessions are inherently evil. Wonderful men like Martin Luther with the great Reformation, uh, Protestant Reformation, uh, bought into this theory. When he became a priest first, uh, back in the 1400s, he's the one that nailed the 95 Thesis to the doors. And he's the one that led us because he was told to study Romans and Galatians that salvation is not by indulgences you buy or things you do, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen. This man, when he first became a priest, dove headlong. Into the poverty mindset. He was so he was so ingrained in that if you had any possession at all, that there was something wrong, that he would he extremely discipline himself to the point he would whip himself, even extreme disciplinary actions to his own self. At the even the thought of having some kind of possessions, and he were taught they were evil. But somewhere along the way, he'd realized that this wasn't right. And here's what he wrote. If silver and gold are things evil in themselves, and those who keep away from them deserve to be praised. But if they are good creatures of God, which we can use both for the needs of our neighbor and for the glory of God, is not a person silly? Yes, even unthankful to God. If he refrains from them as if they were evil. It is totally erroneous to consider someone virtuous because they are poor. That's what Francis of Assisi taught. He said it's a virtue to be poor. Not only that, it's an even bigger area error excuse me, to consider someone a virtuous. Only, only the poor are virtuous. Basically, that's what they're teaching. If you're not poor, you're not virtuous. If you don't, if you don't give everything away, you're not virtuous. But I want to tell you something. Virtue has nothing to do with the possessions that you maintain. But rather the character of God in your life and living according to the word of God. Somebody say amen. Too many Christians have adopted the assumption that being poor is a virtue and it earns points with God. If I renounce everything, I get, I'm on God's good side. I get more points in my pocket than I lose. Well, then the flip side of that must be true if that's the case. And that is if I have anything, suddenly now I'm losing points with God. And I want to tell you what you have, possession-wise or money-wise, has no bearing on whether God accepts you or not. It is all to do with faith in Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder that many of God's people are conflicted about money and success and promotions? Oh, I can't have anything because God won't be pleased. Well, you know, God can't give you, get you to give something if you don't already have it. Is this what the Bible teaches? Was Jesus commanded the rich young ruler to sell everything and follow him really true for all of us? If so, then why didn't he rebuke Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea of having money and possessions? Why didn't he tell them, hey, if you're really going to be my disciple, then what you really need to do is sell everything and give to me. That's not what he told them. See, with the rich young ruler, yes, he told him to sell everything. But the reason he did is because he was breaking the first commandment, which said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
He said, son, you have stuff. You don't have stuff. Stuff has you. You have exalted material things over me, and you need to get your heart right with God. And I'm here to preach to somebody and tell you today, if you have exalted anything in your life over Jesus Christ, God is not happy with that. God is okay with you having stuff. He is not okay with not being first in your life. We talked about this last week. Jesus Christ wants to be first. Somebody say amen. He was breaking the first commandment. Well, okay, pastor, I got that one. But didn't Jesus say, blessed are those who are poor? No, he did not. Matthew 5, 3 says it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he was saying was, blessed are those that realize they are spiritually bankrupt before me. Blessed are those that realize they are hopelessly lost without me. Blessed are those that realize life is not worth living without me. For theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who come before me basically and say, God, I am hopelessly lost. I'm a mess. There's no meaning in my life. I've pursued all the wrong things. I need you in my heart as my Lord and Savior. That's what he said was blessed. Well, pastor, didn't he say that, uh, that, that money is the root of all evil? No, he did not. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not an issue. Money is amoral. It takes on the characteristic of whoever has it. The love of money, the pursuit of money and money first, is what he said brings all kinds of errors, and it will just, it will just destroy our lives. There is one thing that Jesus wants This Christmas season. One thing that God is beckoning. One thing that God is calling for. And that is this. He wants to be first in our lives. Nothing can take over what God wants. Somebody say amen. 1 Timothy 6.17 in your Bible. Says this. He said who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everybody say our enjoyment. Who provides for us? Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above. It comes from God. Anything that you have that is good is from who? It's from God. God wants us to enjoy possessions as long as we remember that it's His His blessing. God wants us to enjoy things without loving them or elevating them to a place that's higher than Him. If you give your child a gift, do you want them to enjoy it? How many of you parents have ever given your child something at Christmas and, or birthday and they didn't like it? Is that not the worst feeling ever? Is it not the worst experience to give your child something that they don't like? I remember when Caitlin was about, I don't know, she was probably three or four or five years old, something like that. No, she was probably about three. And Holly's Aunt Pat came over. It was like after Christmas and they would gotten all their toys and they were excited. And her Aunt Pat said, I got a gift for you. And Caitlin's all excited and, and, and Holly's mom was excited. We're all looking and she gives her this little doll and Caitlin looks at it and she goes, Ew, and throws at it. Talk about wanting to climb under the chair. Is there anything worse than giving your kids something that they don't enjoy? How many of you, when you give your child a gift, you want them to enjoy it? Right? You just don't want them to exalt that over. You don't want them to love the thing more than you now, but you want them to enjoy it. I remember one time we gave Caitlin, I don't know, she was five or six, she got this little Barbie doll, and... uh, yeah, everything was great. It's Christmas morning, and I, by that time, it's late morning, and they're all excited. And I don't know about your family, but when my kids were small, 
you know, 364 days a year, you can't drag them out of bed. Christmas morning, they're bouncing on your bed before the sun comes up. It's like, where is this the rest of the year? And so, man, they're out, you're out there, you open gifts, but, you know, you're groggy, you're tired, you're exhausted, you got up early, you get all this stuff going on. And all of a sudden, Caitlin starts screaming bloody murder. Ah! Ah! We, you know, we come running in there. She's holding this Barbie doll, and, and the leg has been burnt off, and it's smoking. And we're trying to figure out, man, is this thing, you know, my brother-in-law's going, is this thing electronic? How's it on fire? Well, come to find out, Haley, my little terrible two girl who got into everything known to mankind, went and took her Barbie doll. I guess she didn't like that she got a Barbie doll and she didn't or whatever. And she held it over to fire and burnt its leg off. And Caitlin was like, I don't want it. So, I mean, we tried everything. Oh, the little Barbie, it's handicapped. Don't you love the handicapped Barbie? No, I don't want it, you know. And so that was the end of that Barbie doll. But we've all experienced that. Listen, if we as earthly parents want our children to enjoy the good gifts we give them, why would we think God doesn't want us to enjoy what he gives us? See, it's an erroneous mindset. The poverty mindset is warped view of life that drives us to a level of, of, of self-deprivation that God never intended. It's actually a form of religious pride. Are there symptoms of the poverty mindset? I mean, is there telltale signs? Are there things that you can see in your mind that say, wow, I guess I'm heading down that way? And and the answer to that question is yes. You will begin embracing and internalizing several messages like these. Number one, the spirit of poverty tells us stuff comes from the devil. Look, that's a lie. Yet many believers operate as if money... And material things are inherently evil. Again, there is nothing a material thing or money that's inherently evil. It is only what in the it takes on the characteristic of whoever has it. Again, James 1.12 says, every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above. Material possessions and money and those kind of things, they're not from the devil. They're, God instituted that stuff. Secondly, the spirit of poverty tells us to be ashamed of our possessions. Now, while many believers are not quite, in, they don't quite believe enough to go sell everything and become a monk out in a cave somewhere, they do believe in the spirit of poverty enough to be ashamed of what God has given them. If you have a nice house or a nice car, don't be ashamed of it. Thank God for it. Someone say amen. If you gave your child a nice gift, would you want them to be ashamed of it? Would you want your child to get a nice gift from you and go to school and hide it and somebody sees it and, oh, I don't want you to see my nice school. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Why do we get ashamed of what God has blessed us with in this life? It is the devil trying to steal the joy of what God has blessed us with for our enjoyment. Somebody say amen. The spirit of poverty tries to make us think we paid less than we really did. When someone compliments you on a new item from a new top to a new car, do you instantly feel the need to downplay the cost of the item? When somebody comes up and they say, ooh, nice shoes, ooh, nice watch, do you say, well, I got it on sale 90% off? Or, oh, it was a gift, it was a gift, it was a gift. Why is it that we try to excuse away the fact, why can't we just say, oh, thanks, God is a good God? 
Why do we feel the need? I'll tell you why. Because we've bought into the spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty says you can't have anything or you're not godly. And you better not pay full price for something because, boy, you're really off the cliff then. (laughs) It's as if we go and we have something we want. We're able to pay cash for it and we go buy it. And all of a sudden somebody says something and now we feel shame. And all of a sudden we feel like God's saying, that's it, you're out. You didn't get a 75%, you're out. That's not the way God does things. Why can't we just say, oh, it is a nice, thank you. Man, God is good. Did you realize we can be a testimony to people? If we quit being ashamed of what God does for us and start bragging on Him who's given it to us, maybe more people would want our Jesus. Is this okay preaching today? Y'all are looking at me like I'm preaching the Koran. I promise you, it's the Bible. Amen. If you tend to feel shame when someone notices something nice that you have, you've likely embraced the spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty also makes us feel the need to justify all of our purchases. Oh, man, what a nice automobile you got. Well, I, I just got it because, you know, I'm toting people around and I got customers and clients. You know, Otherwise, I'd be happy in an old heap. No, you wouldn't. That's false humility. You know you don't want that old heap. That's why you bought the nice car. Someone say amen. Oh, man, you got a nice house. Well, you know, well, we wouldn't have got the new house, but, you know, we got, we, we're host home for small group, and, we, you know, we got to have more room. You know, otherwise, I'd be happy with those shack I used to have. No, you wouldn't. You like that house. Why don't you just praise God and thank Him for it? Amen. Is this good preaching? This is real preaching here today. Wow, what a nice pocketbook you got. What a nice purse. Well, you know, the strap on my old one broke. Otherwise, I'd have been happy with it. No, you wouldn't have. You already told your husband you want a Louis Vuitton for Christmas. Don't even hand me that. Are you hearing me? This is what I'm trying to say. Listen, why do we try to excuse everything away? Why can't we just say, God is a good God? Amen. This is good news. You're a tithe paying, offering given, child of God. Why can't you just receive nice things from him and say, God is good. Now, God doesn't want us going and run the credit card up. You need to pay cash for stuff. But the point is, he doesn't mind you having stuff. The spirit of poverty tries to make us feel guilty for God's blessings. This is dangerous here. Hey, I heard about your promotion. Congratulations. Well, you know, it's really nothing. No, it's not nothing. It's awesome. Why would you tell someone, oh, it's nothing, when you've been praying for six months for it? Why not just say, man, I've been praying to God and he finally gave it to me. Hallelujah, God is good. we got to get out of this poverty mindset. Wow. Nice car, congratulations. Well, you know, it's just nothing. You know, if we keep saying everything God gives us is nothing, we might end up having nothing. Why can't we just humbly say, man, thank you. God has been good to me. I was playing golf with my pastor one day, man, and it's, I was a brand new youth pastor. And, man, I just, I, I don't know, man, everything's, I'm just, I'm just happy. I mean, I'm always praising God and thanking Him for stuff. Man, I hit a nice shot down the fairway, and I said, thank you, Lord Jesus. And he got mad. He said, don't do that again. And I was like, 
Thank Jesus. He said, yeah, because I had a bad one. It makes me feel like God loves you more than me. I said, well, pastor, if the shoe fits, you know. (laughs) Wasn't it God who told us to be fruitful and multiply? Isn't our God a God of growth and increase? Doesn't God expect his stewards to multiply what he has entrusted to them? Then why would we ever feel bad because God has blessed us with something? So that's one ditch. How many of you want to know there's an equally bad ditch over here on this side? And that's point number two, and that is avoid a prosperity mindset. Remember, the road has two destructive ditches. Materialism takes a good thing and it makes it the ultimate thing. And that is a sin before God because it puts, God, it puts that above God. And God says there would be no other gods before me. God says, I am cool with you having stuff as long as stuff never has you. I'm okay with you having money as long as money doesn't drive you. I feel so sad for Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. How many of you watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. He's got great ideas on there. It's really cool. I feel so bad for Mr. Wonderful who is a multi-billionaire. And I've heard him more than once say, The only thing I care about is waking up tomorrow more rich than I am today. What a sad life. What a pathetic life. You know why? There are no U-Hauls going to heaven. When he takes his last breath, his rich is over. If you think that you have something you can take to this other world that you possess, take your last breath, I promise you. Your family is going to be like vultures taking it. I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. They won't even get back to the church and eat potato salad before they're already given dibs. How many know this is the truth I'm preaching? In the same way some Christians have been deceived by a poverty mindset, some have been deceived by a prosperity mindset. The second ditch says, I need to accumulate as much money and things as I possibly can no matter the cost. Brother, you only live once, so get all you can and can all you get. He who dies with the most toys wins. No. He who dies in a relationship with Jesus Christ wins. Hallelujah. John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil and the richest person in American history said, I have made many millions, but they have not brought me happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt, railroad tycoon and the world's richest man in 1877 said, the care of $200 million in 1877, that's a lot of money, is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. These are the richest people the United States has ever known telling us the money can't give it. John Jacob Astor, America's first multimillionaire, said this, I'm the most miserable man on earth. Folks, if money could bring happiness and joy and fix your life, why won't these men telling us this? Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motor Company, said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie, the steel manufacturing tycoon of the second richest man in history, said millionaires seldom smile. The wealthiest men of the 19th and 20th century have told us that money cannot buy us happiness and they will give us no meaning in life. Yet why do millions and millions in America pursue that? 
If you're a sports fan, how many people will leave their, they'll take their families away from a city they love. The fans adore them. They'll go to another city because that city is going to give me a million dollars a year more than this one. Oh, so $30 million a year to play here was not enough. $31 million is really going to make all that difference, that $1 million out of 30 Over here in this other city where you've now just uprooted your family, gone away from your church, away from the fans who love you, and you've ruined your career. Folks, money is not the answer for life. Jesus Christ is. Yet millions and millions continue to be seduced by the allure of materialism. The spirit of poverty tells you stuff is from the devil. Materialism says you deserve it. The spirit of poverty tells you to be ashamed of your stuff. Materialism says be proud of it and flaunt it. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 4, 19. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Everybody say deceitfulness of riches. And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Uh, something that is deceitful tells lies. What do riches lie about? You ready? Significance and security come from having money and things. If you had a little more money, you'd finally be happy. Ask Mr. Wonderful if that's true. You're falling behind. Others are doing better. More money would solve your problems. Your hard work, cleverness, and initiative are solely responsible for your success. Folks, none of these statements are true. Yet they're believed by many Christians. So what is it that fuels a prosperity mindset? A research study recently estimated, this is astounding, that by the age of 20, the average American who reaches the age of 20 has seen over 1 million commercial advertisements. That is astounding. They're all expertly crafted to say you need more. You deserve more. How many know what I'm talking about? You're incomplete until you get more. You'd be happier if you had more. No, you wouldn't. You would, you'd be worse off. Happiness doesn't come from owning a thing. It comes from Jesus Christ. How many of you were excited when you got that Christmas present or that birthday present you had always dreamed of? And two weeks later, it was just another old thing. Because that thing can't fulfill or satisfy your life. Look, if you're in here under the sound of my voice and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is the only one that will satisfy and continue to fulfill. He is the answer. He is the reason for the season. Hallelujah. 1 John 2.16 says it this way. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all sins, everything that drags us away from God falls in those three categories, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Advertising agencies earn billions of dollars every year trying to entice us to spend our money. Social media has only added to the prosperity mindset. Listen. Spend a little time on social media and you will be ready to hang yourself because everybody else in the world has a better life than you. You know I'm telling the truth. 
Spend some time on social media and you know what happened? You'll, you're convinced everybody has a better house than you. They got nicer rooms than you. They got homes that look like they're out of a magazine. They drive better cars than you. They eat at better restaurants than you. They have better families than you. They got better friends than you. They got better, 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 better. And the more you look on social media, the downer you go and the downer you go. Because what is my life? Can I just tell you something? People don't post all their mess-ups on social media. They post the highlight reel. The highlight reel, if you're not a sports fan, means you take the best plays that the player has done all year and you show them, right? You don't show them fumbling, throwing interceptions. Nobody gets on Facebook and says, well, I really blew it today. I'm sure the boss is going to fire me. Nobody gets on Facebook and says, look how stupid I was today. Nobody gets on there and says, well, that used car salesman really took me to the cleaners. No, we get on there and we want to post all the greatest and latest. And so you look at someone's highlight reel when you're low and all of a sudden you think, man, all of a sudden your life is nothing. I don't want to tell you something. They're not showing you the whole story. Someone say amen. In reality... Their life is much less ideal than what they're posting on Instagram and on Facebook and all the social media. Here's one for you. Hashtag it ain't real. You want Khloe Kardashian to preach to you? How many of those Kardashians can preach? Khloe Kardashian broke the 100 million barrier on Instagram. There's 350 million Americans. Folks, that's a third of America is, uh, follows her on Instagram. As she did, Khloe Kardashian made a public statement saying, quote unquote, social media has absolutely destroyed our generation to be truly happy. How is it that the Kardashians can understand truths that Christians cannot? Folks, get off social media if it's going to make you feel depressed and low and then worse. But God, why aren't you doing all this for me? Why can't we just praise God and thank Him for what He's done for us? Instead of comparing ourselves with other people. Materialism takes a good thing that God has given us and it makes it an ultimate thing. So how are we supposed to live, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Point number three is this. We got to stay out of both ditches. The poverty mindset, the prosperity mindset, and God wants us to live by a provision mindset. Everybody say provision. The two roads can lead you to a ditch. And listen, the enemy doesn't care how you get off the road. He just wants you off. If he can't get you off on one side, he's going to swing the pendulum on the other. And so that's what's happened in the church today. Right? So he got the church in the ditch of being um, uh, legalist. So now there's the swing and pendulum that says, I'm going to go so far from legalism, I'm going to get over in here in licentiousness, which means I can live however I want. Grace covers it all. And I'm going to tell you there's a balance in there in the middle row that says, God, I'm going to live by your word, but I'm not going to be legalistic about it. It's the same way with finances. The two roads of poverty and prosperity take your eyes off God and put them on stuff. One devalues stuff. The other one values it too much. And the enemy don't care which one you take. He just wants you on that road. So what is the answer? How does God want us to think about finances and material things? It starts with an understanding this. God owns it all. Poke your neighbor and say, God owns it all. Again, you have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. If you think 
God doesn't own what you have. Take your last breath and you will find out. Here's the biblical stewardship boiled down. Are you ready? I put God first in everything because he loves me and redeemed me. I gratefully receive everything God puts in my hand. I faithfully steward or manage what God has trusted in me. I hold his blessings with an open hand, prepared to give or distribute them as he directs, never forgetting they are his and that I am his. That's how God wants us to live. That's the stewardship road. That's provision theology. God wants to bless you. Listen, it's his, good, it's his nature to be a good father. Just like you want to bless your children, your grandchildren. God wants to bless us. But he never wants that to have a hold of our hearts. His, he wants us to bless us, but beyond our checkbook. He wants to bless our spirit, our mind, our souls, our bodies. Listen, there are things far more valuable than money. There's so many families that cannot sit down at a Thanksgiving table or a Christmas table and have a nice meal and actually get along together. There's so many families that won't even talk to each other. Listen, if you have a family that will come together like Tom and Carol Vincent, they have 60 family members that will get together every Thanksgiving. And they'll celebrate as a family. They'll even play volleyball and not kill each other. Listen, that's worth more than all the money in the world. If you have children that serve God, that have spouses that serve God, that raise their children in the love and fear and admonition for God, that is worth more than all the money in the world. The greatest inheritance we can ever give anybody is a relationship and a walk with Jesus Christ. God wants us to thrive, but way beyond money. Mark 10, 21 through 22. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, this is him to the rich young ruler. Go your way, sell whatever you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at the word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, it's not God's will for us to be poor, but it's also not God's will necessarily for us to be rich. And folks, rich is relative. I've done missions trips and been to parts of the world where if you had a couple of chickens and a goat, you were rich. I've been to places in the world where if you had a roof over your head at all, you were wealthy. Folks, we've got a demented view of what it means to be rich. If you can go to your refrigerator today and pull out something to eat, whether it may not be what you want, but you have something to eat there, and you have food in your cupboard, you have a house over your, a roof over your head, you have an automobile to drive, you have outfits to wear, you could not wash clothes for a month, and you could still have an outfit to wear. Folks, you are rich. One third of the world is going to bed hungry, and we have so much, we'll eat at a restaurant and send portion of it back and throw it away. You're telling me we're not wealthy in God. God has blessed us. That's not to make anybody feel bad. That's to say, wow, God has been good to me. And I want to bless others now because of it. Amen. I think we ought to give God a good hand clap of praise. God wants to bless us so we can be a blessing. 
Isaiah 55, 10 says this, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven, and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat. What God is saying here is, I want to give you something to eat, but I'm going to give you more than what you need so you can sow and bless other people. So you can build wells for people to have fresh drinking water in another country. So you can build houses to put people under a roof in Honduras. So you can send Bibles to Iran and see them saved. And the list goes on and on and on. Folks, our our mindset can't be on stuff. It's got to be on God. The gospel is not a poverty gospel. But it's also not a prosperity gospel, although many are out there teaching this today. It's a provision gospel. And why is that important? Because that's, that frees us to receive what God wants us to have and then to be able to give freely. Freely you have received, freely give. God is not into stuff. He is into hearts. The key to biblical stewardship is not putting your focus on getting more or getting less. It's to focus on God with gratitude. David Livingston, the famous pioneering missionary to Africa, understood this. Here's what he wrote. And they believe he actually won Africa to the Lord in his time and day and age. He said, I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it. I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. That's the road to proper provision theology. Joseph of Arimathea, in closing, is a great example of how a successful, very wealthy for his time business person is supposed to act with their finances. How many want to see this? Give me about two minutes. Are you ready? Mark chapter 15, verse 42 through 43. When evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council. He had tremendous standing in the community, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Stop right there. How many people within an hour's notice get an appointment with the governor? Right away, you know this is a man of influence. This is a man that has money. This is a man that has influence. This is a man who has tremendous standing. You try to go and walk in the governor's office in Columbus in an hour's time and see how far you get. He walks right in and demands the body of Jesus. This is not your average Joe. This is somebody prominent with lots of money, and I'll prove that to you here in a second. Matthew's gospel says it this way. Matthew 27, 58 through 60. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He comes in in an hour's notice and says, hey, I want the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered it to be given to him. That tells you how Pilate sees him. Pilate saw this man in a very high light. He had a lot of respect for this guy. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own noon tomb. We know he was wealthy, which he had hewn out in the rock because you, people that didn't have money, they couldn't do that. And if you've been with me with Israel, you've seen this tomb. Hallelujah. <laughs> you've walked in the empty tomb and out. Praise God. 2021, you can do that too and take another trip. But you had to be extremely wealthy to cut a tomb out of a rock like that. He was extremely wealthy. He took what was going to be his personal family tomb. And he said, this is for Jesus. Listen, when you give it to someone else, it becomes their family's. You can never use it again. This was worth a lot of money. 
And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb. And he went away. Joseph of Arimathea used his influence, his prominence, and his money for the body of Christ. And what does he ever want from it? Nothing. You never hear from him again. He basically said, God, I'm going to take everything you have blessed me with all the influence, all the prominence, all the upstanding with the governor, all the money, and I'm going to use it for your glory. Folks, that is how God wants us to use what he has given to us. Wow. 